Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, so today's is lesson uh, session four of the Learn to Love series that we're doing in the small groups. Um, many of you have been going through that already as a church. We've had lots of good feedback, and obviously we've had some challenging feedback as well, uh, but today's message replaces the video, so you'll just get a small group plan for those that are following along. Uh, if you haven't been and you want to check out the series, you totally can. You can join in at any time. Um, so moving forward here, uh, this is a difficult season we're in, isn't it? And, you know, with COVID and now, you know, with all the stuff going on with the U.S. and the racial tensions and the economy, and then you think of regulations that change. I mean, have you ever felt like, like you can't just make a decision? We, it's hard to plan anything, even for fall. And it kind of feels like we're all in this state of limbo where we're trying to think of, you know, are we going to go on holidays this summer? Are we going to be able to cross a border? Um, and all of these things that we've taken for granted for, for many years are suddenly up in the air. And this is, it's quite normal. If, if you're, you know, listening today and you have felt anxiety, you felt stress, uh, maybe you've just, you know, you don't call it that. Maybe you call it, I've felt burdened. I've just felt like there's something, just a, a weight on my shoulders know that you're not alone. That is completely normal when, I mean, so much of the peace that we gather on a regular basis is based on our routines. All human beings, we like routine. We like things to stay the same. And in this time, nothing has been the same. It feels like the whole world is in chaos and everyone's tense. Have you felt that? It feels like everyone's tense. And um, the reason I bring that up is, is first just to acknowledge it. And I totally get it as, as, you know, many, usually by now in our ministries, we're, starting to, you know, wind things up for a summer break. And that's right when we launched the Learn to Love series. I mean, why do we do that right now? And I'll tell you why. And it's because in times like this, when the whole world is in chaos, this has typically been our, our you know, opportunity as the church to shine. Um, and that's why we've been focusing on this love God, love people. That's why we chose this as the time when usually a push like this we would want to save for fall. You know, when we're ramping up ministry, here we're right getting to the end in an overwhelming time, and now we're really ramping up to go love God and love people. And that is because I believe firmly this is what the world needs to see in the church today. This is what the world needs to see. They need to see people that are handling the crisis around us differently. Uh, they need to see the love and the light of Jesus Christ through us. So that's why we've been doing this. And uh, isn't it true that Jesus modeled this kind of come just as you are love to each one of us? And I've often shared that story at the Set Free. If you've ever been to one, you've heard my testimony. That's what won me to the kingdom. This come just as you are love that didn't just invite me in just as I am, but also went to the cross, laid down his life for us. And he says, if you are my followers, go and do likewise. And so that is why we're talking about that in this season, and that's why I'm going to continue on today. So session four today, uh, we're going to be looking at love your neighbor as yourself. But I want to pray for you guys first and pray for myself so that we can have the Holy Spirit lead us through this time together. Lord, love God, love people. There, there's something about that that just rings true inside of us. We, we all want it. But yet at the same time, it, you know, sometimes you hear something over and over and over again and it, it almost, it's like it becomes dull or it loses, it loses the meaning. And so today when we're taking a look at love your neighbor as yourself, I ask Holy Spirit that you would minister and speak to each and every one of us. This call to love wasn't a small thing. It wasn't just about be a nice person. You didn't just call us to be nice people, although being nice is good. You called us to love in the same way that you loved, meaning we are to go out and love people as they are, and we're supposed to lay down our lives for the sake of others. So Lord, we recognize today this kind of love is absolutely impossible. It's impossible. So Holy Spirit, today we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your glorious presence. As we submit our desires and our lives and our hands and our feet to you, would you use us, the church, we are the church, not the building. Would you use us, the church, to love a lost world that's around us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, we're going to take a look at uh, who is my neighbor. And we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, because a lawyer asked Jesus the very same question. 
up until now, we've, we've taken a look at a few things in the series. If you didn't get to that, it's totally fine. Uh, but in the very first session of the small group series, we said that the love that we are called to give is a love that requires action. And one of the actions that we gave is we said love creates belonging. So belonging helps people feel seen and heard and valued. It invites them to come just as they are. So it's a safe kind of love. It's a sacrificial love. And it wel- it's a welcoming kind of love. So that's what we're aiming for. But today, we're not just looking at what is love. Um, although even there, what is love is bigger than that. We're going to look at who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to love? And scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the premise of this story here. And it starts and it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, so here Jesus is, you know, the lawyer asks him a question and he's trying to get to the heart of, you know, what is, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And he's trying to, you know, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus defines it for him and asks him further questions. And now we're going to get to this next part here because it says the man is seeking to justify himself, right? But desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Very interesting question. Jesus replies, a man, he, he replies with a story. I love that about Jesus. He does that many times uh, throughout scripture. But he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Just absolutely amazing. So you're already seeing he's giving of his time, his money, his effort, his ability. And um, and then he says, and... uh, And he took out two denarii, and so he went the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to an innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Then Jesus says, so which of these three do you think proved mercy? And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So this entire story is very, I mean, it's gold from start to finish, but it's very instructive and it also, it, it, it actually makes some very, very clear points. And that's what I want to start by looking at is what is the, you know, the point of this story? So the first thing I want to look at in this story, okay? So go and do likewise. We're supposed to love like the Samaritan. He's the one who loved his neighbor as himself. But the first thing I want to point out is this, because I think sometimes we get this idea, and we talked a bit about this at Prayer Summit, but we get the, the idea that if I'm not a part of the problem, just, you know, sitting back, if I don't do anything, well, maybe that's, that's totally fine. Well, if you look at this story, what's very interesting is the, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, were any of them responsible for the man lying on the side of the road? The answer is no. It says that they, he was robbed, right? Uh, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So it's actually a very important thing to highlight right from the start that not the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan had any type of responsibility in the situation. So they didn't owe this man anything. They didn't know him. They weren't responsible. They hadn't contributed to the problem. Okay, so that's very, very important. They didn't cause him harm in any uh, which way. So the lawyer was trying to get an easy pass on what it meant to love your neighbor. And what's interesting here is in Greek, your neighbor was anyone nearby. But in Hebrew, your neighbor was someone you are associated with. So that Jewish lawyer asking him this question is a very pointed question. And who is my neighbor? Because depending on how Jesus answers this, how he is interpreting it is someone who I am already associated with. And I think this is sometimes the comfortable answers we as Christians can kind of come up with. And I mean, obviously, is it good to love your family and friends and the people that you're associated with? The answer is a resounding yes. Keep doing that. And some of us need to actually grow in doing that better. And we should always be on that journey of growing and getting better in that. But what Jesus is saying here is that's actually not good enough. 
That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point of love your neighbor as yourself. I'm looking far beyond just the people you're associated with. And he reiterates this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you love only those who love you, what good is that? If you greet only your brothers, how are you different than anybody else? And so here, Jesus is going to teach this lawyer that lesson. So he, he gives them the story of the Good Samaritan. And what's really important here is how did the Jews see, uh, see the Samaritans? Well, I mean, they were a low class of people that didn't keep the law. They didn't keep the law and they had intermarried with non-Jews. So because of that, the Jewish people, you know, the true bloods, they didn't want to really have anything to do uh, with Samaritan people. And that's why Jesus uses a Samaritan above all. Because think about this. Who would have known the law who would have known God's law in this story? The priest would have. The Levite would have. But the assumption here, the premise is, if any one of these three wouldn't know God's law and could get a pass, it would have been the Samaritan. And yet Jesus shows that it's not just about knowing God's law, it's about living God's law. And the Samaritan, of the two, of the two guys who knew, of the three, two knew God's law, but they didn't live it. And one of them who may not have known God's law, he lived it. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's an incredibly high calling and what a wonderful story. Um, you know, we don't know if the injured man was a Jew or Gentile, but it made no difference to the Samaritan. Think about that. He didn't consider the man's race or religion or any other factor that he played in. Didn't consider if he knew him. All he saw was a person in need and he felt the responsibility to, to go and love him and to meet that need. And he didn't just do it by, you know, going and saying, hi, are you okay? I mean, he really put it all on the line. He dresses the man's wound with wine he, and oil to soothe the pain. He puts the man on his animal, takes him to an inn. So I don't know if this guy was busy or where he was going to, but I think many of us sometimes feel like I'm too busy to do that. And I get it. There are times like that. But are we, are we creating margin in our lives to be used by God like this good Samaritan? Because if we aren't, that's actually something we're, we're told that we are to be doing. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Love God and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the most important commandment. Uh, but he goes on. So he takes, puts him on his animal, takes him to the inn. Uh, then he goes beyond common decency. Because you would have thought, I mean, already he's done way more than pass over to the other side, uh, side of the road religious people, right? Who just ignored it and pretended like it wasn't happening. Sound familiar with a lot of, you know, the, the problems in the world today? No, he didn't do that. He already has done lots. He's already given time and money. But now he goes and tells the innkeeper, take good care of this man. He's going to go the extra mile. Well, the extra, extra mile. Because he's already done the extra mile. And he's going to say, if any other costs are incurred, I'll pay them on my way back. So yes, he didn't have the time to stay there and be a part of that entire man's journey of healing. No, he didn't have to which is important to point out, but he did. He gave from what he had and what he could do. He gave of himself to make sure that this man was looked after and loved and taken care of. And that is why Jesus says, this is the picture of what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? This is the picture of what it means to love God and love people. It's not just love those who love you. It's not just greet your brother. Uh, it's not just love your family and friends, which you should keep doing. We need each other. Absolutely, yes. But it's actually going out of your way to love the least of these, to love anyone that you encounter, especially those in need. So who is my neighbor? Well, my neighbor is anyone that I encounter. Anyone that I encounter is my neighbor. So that's a stranger. That's an enemy. That's someone that I know. Uh, but what's really interesting here is Jesus, I mean, he obviously loved everybody, but he targeted uh, people that were of need. Of course, this is an impossible obligation, isn't it? I mean, which one of us can actually love this way? I mean, some of you listening right now, and I know I've often felt that way, uh, you get someone that's in need and you're like, oh, I, like, my schedule is actually jammed right now. I, I can't meet with you right now. This just happened to me recently. I felt awful on the inside. Felt awful on the inside. Oh, like, I, I want to make margin, but now you're busy and you're in a meeting. I'm sure some of you have felt this way. You're going through different seasons. I am not saying that this is, first off, easy or simple. Uh, secondly, I'm not saying that you do things that you're not able to do. But I am saying of the time and resources and talents that you've been given, are you using them to love your neighbor as yourself? 
You see, I think sometimes what we do is we can take, I mean, there's lots of things we do, but we can take a commandment like this and we look at it in our own lives and we're thinking, okay, yeah, that's, a, that's an important thing. But we have our own lives. We have our own lives. So, I mean, I obviously have to put myself first, right? Isn't that what we think? I got to put myself first. So, I mean, I got to make sure, you know, I have holidays, which I'm looking forward to, but I got, I'm hoping they lift restrictions so I can go to Ontario still. Um, but, you know, I want to do that, right? So I want to do that. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm provided for. Uh, I want to make sure that, you know, I, I, that I work and that I can provide for my family and that we have the things that we need. Is that wrong? Well, no, I don't think it is wrong. And that's precisely why he says, love your neighbor as who? As yourself. <laughs> that is the point. Taking care of yourself is important. And that's why we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, which means it's not bad to do those things. It's not bad to take care of yourself. It's good to take care of your family first and yourself. It is good. But then we should be not just like an, an addition later on thinking about who is someone of need and do I have time for others? Part of this, if this is the most important thing that we can do, love God and love people, then we actually need to build it into our schedule in a sense of we need to have margin in our lives, space for us to be able to love people. And if we don't, that's when I'd say we should start looking at our priorities and what we're doing and start seeing, is there something I can cut out? Is there something that's maybe not so important that I can, that I can you know, remove it or put it to the side so that I can invest in what is most important? And that is loving people, loving God and loving people. So I, I, I will warn you, if we're going to engage in this as a church, I just think, can you imagine if our whole church really grabbed a hold of this? Like what would happen if, you know, even a thousand of us would really just look at our schedules and say, you know what? There is no way that my schedule is going to be so full that I will not have time and effort and energy and finances, whatever it looks like. With what I've been given, there's no way that I'm going to use it all on me. I'm going to give margin so that the Holy Spirit can bring hurting people into my life so I can love them. Can you imagine if we built our lives on, on a truth like that? Love like that is transformative. That's the kind of love that draws people in, and I'm, I'm going to give examples of that in just a moment. That kind of love draws people in. But I'll warn you, it's messy. It is messy. It's messy. It's not clean. It's not, you know, you can't plan for it always, and you, you can't uh, predict everything that's going to happen as you're loving people, because people can be messy, and people can be unpredictable. Totally. But I want to highlight here because we're saying, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is everyone I encounter. So I think we can look at that and say, okay, great. Everyone I encounter, I encounter my friends, my family, members, uh, nice people, <laughs> right? Nice strangers, as long as they're nice. I'll love all of those. That's got to be enough love, right? I mean, if you love those, I mean, that's a lot of people. There's a lot of nice people in our community, I think. Love the people in church, especially when we're together. <gasps> Right? The people in my cell, oh yeah, that's lots of people that I'm loving and taking care of. But I want to note, although good, Jesus actually targeted, he loved everybody, but he targeted a different class and he targeted a different group of people. He targeted sinners, was the first one he did. Right? Did he not? A woman caught in adultery. What is he doing there? He's targeting her. He targets her. He loves on her. He equalizes the playing field. I won't go into the whole story because I've, I've spoken of this story lots and learned to love. Uh, but I think if we're really going to learn to love and learn how to navigate, how do you love people in brokenness? How do you love people that are different than you? Jesus actually is your very best example. And we shouldn't be surprised, but he aced it. And you know what I've found? More often than not, he does it in a different order and differently than I would have done on my own. That's why we need to go and examine the scriptures and take a look. I mean, what drove the, you know, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders nuts about Jesus? Well, there was lots of things because he was flipping things. He was flipping all their cultural norms and traditions and religious uh, uh, you know, structures. He flipped that upside down and uh, he, was, he was bringing in something new. But they said, he eats and drinks with sinners. In fact, they almost thought that it disqualified him at one point. Right? I mean, he can't be of God. If he was of God, he would know the types of people that he's with. And the truth is, exactly, he did know the types of people he was with. That's why he said the doctor doesn't come to heal those who, are all, who think they're already good enough, but he comes to heal the sick. And that's what Jesus did. So he went after sinners, uh, but he also went after minorities. He loved it. What did he do with the Samaritan woman? They're, they're a minority both by being a Samaritan and by gender, a minority there, an oppressed group. He goes for a Samaritan woman, 
of all people, and he invites her to drink of living water. He invites her into eternal life, and he does the craziest thing. And then, and then you know, he, she, go, uh, she goes on to talk about, the, you know, I'm not married right now. Uh, or sorry, I, uh, he invites her to bring the man that she's, you know, her husband. She says, I'm not actually married. He says, I know, uh, you've been married five times before and you're divorced. And this man you're, you're currently living with is not your husband. And he tells her this, but you think, does he point it out to her as like beats it over her head? You're doing all these things that are wrong. You need to change. You need to repent or you're going to go to hell forever. No. He just says, I know. Do you want to come drink life? He says, I know who you are. I know what you've done, and I love you just the way you are. It is the most radical invitation, and if we would get that love right, we would see things transform around us because this is what all of us want. I don't care who you are and what you believe and what you deny that you want. Some people will deny they want this. We all want to know and be known. We all want to be accepted at the core of our beings just as we are, and Jesus offers that. So he went for sinners, minorities. He went for the oppressed, right? He heals the unclean woman. Chris did an awesome job talking about that. She was oppressed, seen as unclean. And yet he targets her. He makes sure he removes the shame. Uh, and he went after the hurting people. You think of the prostitute, uh, Pastor Lauren, last week he talked about uh, her and how she wiped the tears with her hair. And it goes on to say, those who've been forgiven much, love much. And that's why she was loving. She was a hurting woman. She felt sorrow. And what did Jesus do? Would he turn her away and say, this is inappropriate what you're doing, wiping my feet with your hair. You're a woman. No, he doesn't do any of that. He just receives it and he receives her beautifully. So this is the kind of love that Jesus modeled. And when he says, as I have loved you, so also shall you go love one another. So if this is going to be true in our lives, wouldn't we then agree at the conclusion that we should be able to see within our lives how we're loving the least of these. And I'm not saying it looks the same. I'm not saying we all have to have Jesus scale stories. I don't think I have Jesus scale stories. Uh, I don't know anyone but Jesus who has those scale of stories. He was brilliant and loved in perfection. But can you see places in your life on a regular basis? Or do you have to go back to the time 10 years ago when you helped someone? But can you see in your life right now where you are making room for the marginalized? Can you see in your life how you make room for people's weaknesses? Are you seen as someone who's an encourager and someone who loves regardless of the situation? Or are you someone that's quick to assume and jump to judgments? These are the kind of things we should be asking ourselves because this is the model we were given. We were given the Good Samaritan story and then the model of Jesus himself of what it means to love people, to love your neighbor as yourself. So, when we're talking love like this, um, oh, I missed the hurting there. There we go, hurting people. Obviously, now the next question is, how do we love people like this? And I'm going to try to simplify some steps. I'm not saying, for those of you list people, that I'm going to cover absolutely every angle on how to love people because I have tried loving people in all sorts of situations, and every situation is different. So what I'm going to share with you is just a few things that I've learned uh, and found in Scripture so biblically, uh, biblical principles as well as things that I've learned that have helped me regardless of the situation to be able to meet people where they're at better, okay? So that's what we're going to look at now is how do I love my neighbor? Remember, this is not easy. It's not. It's going to cost you. If we're going to love the way Jesus loves, it's going to cost and it's going to be messy. But this is one thing I'll promise you. It is rewarding. It is rewarding. There is, there is something about doing good for others that is absolutely rewarding, almost more than anything you could do for yourself. I might even say anything you could do for yourself. I was reading a book, What Your Body Knows About God, again. I've, I love that book. Anyhow, in there they were talking about parts of the brain that govern joy and peace and help you resist things like uh, your primal urges, which could lead into things like temptation, all that kind of stuff, help you connect to God, connect to others, right? Well, actually, those parts of the brain, they have actually found when you love people that are difficult to love. Interesting on that. So just loving people didn't make any measurable difference. But when you love the hurting people, when you show empathy to people that are in pain, that seems to stimulate growth in those areas of the brain that, are that, that actually help you feel more joy and peace. Is that not fascinating? We are wired, we are wired to love 
the oppressed. We are wired to love sinners. We are wired to love minorities. We are wired to love people who are hurting. It's not easy, but we're wired for it. And there's actually a lot of joy and reward in it. In this life, and more importantly, the life to come. All right, so what are the steps? First one, listen and empathize before you speak. Now, I don't, I'm not sure here if I maybe, I maybe emphasized the wrong words there for some of you. For some of you, I think I maybe should have emphasized the before you speak part, uh, then the listen and empathize. But however you look at this, write this down, remember it, memorize it, listen and empathize before you speak. Something I used to say uh, when I was leading the personal ministry team, uh, because I would often get uh, asked a question. I've had many volunteers, even outside of there, ask me this question when I was working with Four Winds, which then turned into Freedom House and so on and so, so forth. Uh, when can you, you know, when are you allowed to, to, to correct someone or to, to stand on a truth? And I said, well, I don't want to give you a blanket statement on that I don't want to, because I don't want checklists. The Holy Spirit has to lead and direct it. But I can say this. If you haven't heard the person and felt with them and you don't feel compassion in the moment, you shouldn't say anything. You shouldn't. Because truth without love usually brings legalism and condemnation. That's usually where it ends up. And it feels judgy, to steal a word from Yoder, who I'm looking at. <laughs> it feels judgy. <laughs> Sorry, I had to, there we go. Shout out to you. All right, so very important. Listen before you speak. This is a skill. It is a skill that requires practice. So you can practice. I don't know, for some of you, you might need to start with, uh, because you can't help but speak. So maybe you give yourself a timer. I don't know. Maybe that's the way you get around it, but you have to bite your tongue for the first 60 seconds while someone speaks. Or you say, I am not just not going to speak. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear. And instead of trying to think of, because I know what we do, we're trying to think of our response. I'll tell you this. If, if I'm speaking to you or if you're speaking to me and what I'm doing is trying to think of how I'm going to respond, I'm not empathizing. And I'm not even really listening. So the goal is, if you're speaking to me, my goal is to hear you. To hear you and whatever you're saying to enter into you, to, to what you're feeling about that. Right? So very important. Um, James 1 says it this way, My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, <laughs> right? Quick to hear, slow to speak. Uh, Romans puts it this way. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is what empathy is all about. So James and Romans put it together. Listen and empathize before you speak. And I know, you know, when we start talking that way, right away is, there's things that can kind of come up uh, because we think, well, yeah, but what if you have to say something? I'll, I'll get onto that in just a moment on what you should say. I will. But I'm saying, if you haven't first listened and empathized, you shouldn't speak. You shouldn't speak, right? Because we don't know where people are at. Let people share their story with you. Let them share their experiences with you. And don't assume that you know what they're going to say. Don't assume that you know what they feel. And don't assume that, that your experiences are similar to theirs. And, you know, whether we're talking to someone who has struggled with an addiction, I've used that example many times, you know, and, and you're trying to relate, oh, you have an alcohol or a pornography addiction. And I've heard people say things like, well, you know, when I was younger, I, I used to drink too, and then I just kind of grew out of it. Like, so I think sometimes you just got to grow up. Oh, that's all. That's so helpful because that really feels like love when you say that. And you might say, yeah, but it's true. They have to grow up. It might be true, but it's also true that all of us have to grow up. Which one of us is good? Jesus says, only God alone, <laughs> right? All of us fall short. So yeah, that might be true, but it's not helpful. Uh, and that's very important. Or someone might talk to you about, um, you know, recently we were talking at the prayer summit with Antonia about her issue and her struggle with racism, which is real. And now since then, I've heard many of you, uh, you know, sharing stories and that sort of thing that, of your own experiences with racism. Well, the truth is, I've never had an experience with racism. So I don't know how to relate. So what do I do? I, I listen and I empathize. I listen and I empathize. That's the right response. Instead of doing things like, well, you know, I do, I totally get what you're saying. Like I've, you know, I had this kid years ago that, that always would call me names. Now, is it bad for a kid to bully any other child? Absolutely it is. It is bad. And I, we should stand up for all you know, stand against bullying in all forms. 
All I'm saying is when someone else is sharing their story, don't go to try to empathize by doing things like, that's just like when I experienced this. If you haven't experienced it, just listen and empathize, right? Listen and empathize, really, really helpful. Um, give you one more example, then I'm gonna move on. But uh, same with abuse. I know I've, I've talked to many people who have, many people who have been abused, which is horrific. Uh, I think probably abuse and, uh, and racism would be part of that um, and, and addiction. These kind of struggles are so deeply rooted and painful, so deeply rooted and painful and so incredibly hard to overcome in. And so you look at something like abuse and I've, I've heard people, you know, say things like, well, I mean, did you, did you try saying this or did you, you know, did you say stop or did you, right? It's like we're, we're trying to correct the person and, and they're the, the victim. I'm not saying we do this out of a, a bad intent. I actually think most people do it with good intent. I think what's happening is it's a reflection of our own overwhelm in the situation. We don't know what to do. So then we panic and we just start speaking. We start comparing to our own lives. We start trying to fix and asking the wrong questions. And that's why I'm saying, first step, you want to love people, listen and empathize. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Weep when they weep, laugh when they laugh. This is what we're going to do. Okay, next. Listen and empathize, then encourage rather than correct. This is also going to be one. Write it down. And I see many people uh, <laughs> starting, to, what they say is, how about we correct first? I, and this is our, our knee-jerk response. And by the way, I've been there. We feel the need to correct first, and then we'll encourage people as they're responding to the correction. Isn't that what we think? right? So I'll point out your sin. My job is to point out your sin and where you're struggling and your, like, I want to make sure regardless of what we're talking about, whether it's an addiction or struggle or abuse or, or it could be racism or it could be any of these things, any topic, any struggle, maybe it's mental health uh, or maybe it's a theological issue or you're not, or it's sexuality or gender related. Okay. So the first thing I want to do is make sure that the person that's talking to me, that they're seeing things truthfully, right? We want to, we want to speak that balance. And what I find is more often than not, all that does is it creates a further divide. Now, I know you might think, whoa, 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 are you saying we shouldn't speak truth? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. But let's take a look at something here. Um, I learned this principle. First off, you'll find it in Scripture. Uh, secondly, I learned this principle when I was uh, not following the Lord years ago. So I guess that's 16 years ago already. But throughout my time away from the Lord, and if you want to hear that full testimony, come to a set free if you haven't been. I'd love to share it with you there. I know we come to a set free. We're working on how that's going to work, okay? <laughs> we are planning on that. But anyways, um, when I was away from the Lord, there wasn't much to encourage me on. There wasn't much. I was like the prodigal son, and I hadn't returned yet. Okay, so they didn't know it was coming, right? Because you might think, well, if you knew it was coming, then you would try to speak that out of, out of someone. No, they didn't do that. So what was I? An abuser, a drug addict, and someone who just completely rejected and left his family. So what is, their, like, what is the response? And I know what many people want to say or many people would do because they've shared with me that what they've done and, and I've helped, you know, kind of steer them towards a different path. It is, well, you know, it's my job to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. You know, to cut them off. If you're going to continue down this path, then we're going to cut you off. It's kind of like an intervention. You know that I've, I'm not saying it's never worked. Maybe it has. But I haven't seen it work. And I've known a lot of people who've tried that route. Thankfully, my parents did not try that route. So I remember, you know, in between drug dealing every now and then, which I know is bad. It is bad. But sometimes I'd get these jobs here and there and then I'd go, you know, last for a few months and then I'd stop. At one such time, I did get a job working construction and I'm sharing with my dad and here I am, this drug dealer, abuser, bad guy, into sex, all that kind of stuff, right? It's not, it's not good. It's a bad picture, bad scene. And yet here I'm sharing with him how I'd gotten this job in construction. You know what his response was? You know, he didn't say, you know, you're throwing away your life or he didn't say, well, finally you're making a good, you know, a, a good choice in your life. He just said, oh, that's awesome. I bet you're going to be so good at that. So you've, since you were young, you've been building blocks with Lego. Oh, that's always been a passion of yours. You're going to be so good in there. And he's like, who knows? This is before we had this building, by the way. He's like, who knows? Sometimes I've wondered if God's going to have us build a church. And maybe you could be part of that building. And that was his response. It wasn't to point out all of the obvious things that were wrong with me. It was to find that thread of goodness, that, that piece of me 
that, that was good, that piece of me, that piece of Jesus in me, that goodness in me that I was created in his image and he, and he called it out. Uh, my family did this also when I was getting into fights, uh, street fights. Uh, one of them ended up being on the, on the radio and uh, not a good thing, not, nothing you want to be known for. I remember talking to my brother about this and you'd think, I mean, he must have just sat there correcting me. He didn't. Now, I don't know that he encouraged me, but he took the, the spot of listening and empathizing and he would just ask me clarifying questions and ask me, ask me questions about what happened. And he listened and just was attentive and loved me. He didn't see the need to correct me. Uh, I had, uh, I don't know if my brother and sister-in-law will, or my sister and brother-in-law will be okay with me saying this next story, but I'll say it anyways, uh, because it's good and it demonstrates. I'm so drug dealer in my house that I get a surprise visit from family members. And they come in and they're talking to us and here we're trying to hide all the drug paraphernalia and all that kind of stuff. And we thought we've done a good job. Little did I know, there's a bong sitting to the side on one of my speakers. That's a drug pipe, okay? So you don't have to figure out what that is. And they suddenly noticed it. They suddenly noticed it. Now what are they going to do? Are they going to look at me in disappointment and shame and leave? Are they going to point out that what I'm doing again is throwing away my life? You might say, yeah, someone has to. I would say John says that's the Holy Spirit's job primarily. He convicts people of sin. Our job primarily is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what did they do? <laughs> they didn't say anything. My, my sister just commented and said, wow, that's a, that's a she kind of pauses, a nice bong. <laughs> and, and then we moved the conversation on. Uh, but I didn't get condemnation. I didn't get judgment. And you're looking at that and you're saying, well, maybe is this, is this, permissive? Like, is, like, isn't this compromise? And there's two things I'll quickly say on that compromise piece. And the first one is, look where I am today. Did it work? Yeah, it worked. And I'll tell you what drew me back. My family's love for me. You see, my family loving me just the way I was, that's what they modeled. That I was loved and welcome. That's going to get me choked up. Because I'm so grateful they took that path. Because they loved me just the way I was, even in my brokenness. When Jesus said later on in in 2004, I see you, I know what you've done, I love you anyways. I was able to receive that truth from him because I had experienced it through them. Do you see how that works? I could receive God's love from him because I had first experienced it through them. Church, this is why this is so vital that we get this right. Why does the dying world care about our truth if it hasn't experienced Jesus' love? So again, secondly, this is precisely what Jesus. So first, <laughs> it works. Secondly, it's because just because it works, the ends doesn't always justify the means. Jesus did this very same thing. Multiple times in scripture, we find him loving people, loving sinners, and not pointing out all their sin. And we should know this because in our experience, in our devotions, is that all he does with you? Is that all he does with me is point out our sin? Because if that was what we're supposed to do, trust me, he sees our hearts. He could be speaking to us about our sin all day long. All day long he could. And yet he doesn't. This morning in my devotions, I was praying and and meditating on on, uh, Isaiah 41 uh, verse 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. Right? I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with... Oh, I will, hope you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I was sitting there and I was just thanking him for that. And then I was bringing some struggles to him. And he just, Stefan, I see you and I love you. And you're doing good. And then he corrected me. He showed me this is an area you could have done differently. Um, but it's okay. We're going to get past this. He was my number one encourager. He encourages uh, rather than corrects. Now, obviously, God does correct us as well. And that's an, that's an important piece. But we have to get this. Now, I'll show you one thing in Scripture, and then we're going to move on to the next point uh, because I do want to have a time for reflection before we're done. Acts 17, 22 to 27, because you still might be thinking, okay, John 16, I think it is. Uh, I don't know the verse, but it says, the Holy Spirit, he will convict men of sin. So that's his job. The Father will send the Holy Spirit. He will convict people of sin. Am I saying now that we're never to stand for truth? No, I'm not saying that. When asked, I always answer honestly. But I don't see it as my role in life to go and point out everyone else's sin. Why? Because I want to love people like myself. I wouldn't appreciate it when people do that to me either. What I do appreciate is when people ask me what my story is. And when they ask me how I'm doing. And when they ask me how I, you know, what I feel about this or that. And what I think about this. When they encourage me, that I appreciate. So 
go and do likewise. But Acts 17, to 27, Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Whoa, 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 hold the phone here. Is Paul encouraging them? Are these not idolaters? Heathens? Pagans? They're not Christians. And what is he starting with? Is he starting with, you men of Athens, you sinners, how dare you, right? Judgment is coming. And yet he's not doing that. It's very fascinating. He's actually saying, I'm perceiving in every way that you're very religious. That seems almost like encouragement, almost like a compliment. But you're saying, yeah, 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 but but their religion is bad. They need to know that. Do you think that the Holy Spirit is limited by me telling the person in front of me that what they're doing is bad? He met me, I was going to say on the road to Damascus. I was not on the road to Damascus. But he met me on the road to my house when I was in my car. And he said, Stefan, I know you, I see you, I love you anyways. Come just as you are. That was without anyone teaching me about listening prayer or speaking to me in that moment. He just met with me. You say, well, how did you know? Like, how did you know it was his voice? When you're God and you want someone to know, they know. That was my experience. Anyhow, continuing on. As I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Okay, this is fascinating again. He's looking at an idol, right? Their unknown God, right? To the unknown God, I found, I found oh yeah, look at this, objects of your worship. This, is, this should be idolatry. I found an altar with this inscription to, to your unknown God. So you think right here, he's going to now tell them, that is blasphemy. It's bad. It's awful. And this I proclaim to you, the God who made the, the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. He's saying this, I saw this altar, you're very religious, and I saw the altar to the unknown God, and I know you worship the unknown God. Guess what? I know his name. That's what he's saying. Do you, like, isn't that a fascinating approach? Instead of rebuking and correcting, he starts with encouragement and love and belonging. That's exactly what he says. Instead of judging, he says, I see you. I see that you're religious, right? I know you. I know that you worship and you're good people. Like, that's kind of what he's alluding to there. And then he says, I see you're worshiping this God. I know his name. Do you want to know? That's his approach. And I think we would do wise by taking that biblical approach. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that we never say anything, but we should be very careful. If we love first, always, this should be our goal. Love first, always. You know, truth and love. Speak the truth in love. Love is the foundation. So if we haven't listened, if we haven't empathized, if if we do not feel, I'm talking a feeling word here, if I do not feel compassion, I'm not saying, yeah, I love you, but look what you're doing over here. No, no. No, no. If you don't feel compassion, like you feel, if you don't feel that, oh man, my heart breaks for you and what you're going through. If you don't feel that, you need to go to God first, connect with him so that when you stand on truth, you're doing it through Jesus's love because he will sometimes call you to stand up and say something. But when you're doing so, you need to do it through him and not through your own flesh or it's going to push people away instead of draw them near. And we're trying to draw them into a relationship with Jesus. So, Once we've done this, looking at the time here, um, listen, encourage. Now we can meet the felt need. Um, There, I'll jump us. There we go. Meet the felt need as the Holy Spirit directs. And this is the fun part, by the way. This is the fun part. When you love people, when you listen to them, when you empathize with them, when you're connecting, now you get to see if there's any, any felt need that they have that you can meet. Because this is the opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, James 2, 15 to 16 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, uh, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Right? So we, we go and meet the need. Now there's multiple ways we can look at this need. Um, the first one here, food and clothing. If you have extra food and clothing, is there a meal you can give someone? Maybe you can help them with a gift card or a grocery card. We give lots of hampers away at the church. We're still doing that. We've done the food and clothing drive. This is something we take very seriously. This is what we can do. You can be generous with what you have. If you see a need, you might say, well, what if I don't see a need? Well, ask God for someone in need. It is exciting and joy. It is, it is so filling to be able to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let me promise you that. 
uh, but we can also look for practical helps. Maybe you're a tradesperson, maybe you're an electrician, or you're good at framing or concrete, or maybe you just like doing yard work, or maybe you, you like to sew, or maybe you like to bake things, or whatever you like to do. Is there, maybe you're a mechanic. I don't know what you like to do. Maybe you're an encourager. The point is, use your gifts to go and bless others. Be a blessing. Chris talked about that at the prayer summit. We are blessed to be a blessing. Use your gifts to go and love others. And lastly, and I think this is the most important one, and even those other two should come out of this one, right? Remember 1 Corinthians 13, if I can do all things and even give up my body to be burned, but have not love, I've gained nothing. So this last one here, creating, with blo- creating belonging, to see people, to hear them, to know them, seek to know them, to understand them, uh, uh, listen to their stories, invite them to come just as they are. This last one here is the most important one and should be the foundation upon which any other things that we do uh, comes out of. And it's a, it's a growing process, but we do exactly that. We create belonging with everyone and we target the least of these. We target the same people Jesus did. Sinners, uh, people that are oppressed, hurting people, minorities. Uh, we look to the climate around us and who are the people that are in need and we seek as the church to fill that need in whatever ways that we are able to. So, be an encourager. Listen to people's stories. Make a meal for someone. Offer them a coffee. Smile more. Ask and listen more than you speak and share. Uh, These are the the things that we are called to do. The measure of our character and conduct uh, is based on our love, not based on our performance. It's based on our love. When we stand before Jesus one day, the measuring stick that he's going to use, according to uh, Matthew 25, 31 to uh, to 40, the sheep and the goats, the measuring stick he's going to use is how well we loved people. How did we love those who we encountered? That's the measuring stick. So did we receive the love that he gave to us and did we use it to proclaim Christ to the dying world around us? So I want to lead you um, through a bit of a reflection time. Uh, We have a few minutes for that and then we're going to close with a song. Here we go. I want you to think about this right now. Just actually before we go into this, I want you to close your eyes wherever you are. I want you to take a deep breath. Jesus, we thank you that you love us just the way we are. However we answer these next questions, you've actually invited us into a relationship with you and you're okay with our weaknesses and our brokenness. You're okay with us. You're okay with the mess in our lives. Not okay in the sense of we're going to stay there, but you're not thrown off by our weaknesses. That's why you came and died and paid the penalty for our sin so that even our sin, weaknesses all the way up to grievous sin, was paid for and purchased by your blood. So thank you for giving it all for us. And now, Lord, we ask, if we stood before you today and you would use the measuring stick of love in our lives, from the scale of family and friends to those that we encounter that are in minorities or struggling with different things, could be addictions, could be mental health, could be anything, could be economic status, all the way to the end of the scale, which is our enemies. How would you, what would you say to us if we were standing before you now with that scale? Maybe he's telling you family and friends is, that's pretty good. I'm doing pretty good there. Always can improve. But now, oh, people with struggles or minorities, that's that's where it gets difficult. Okay, so for the next part, that's going to be you. That's going to be you. Okay, so you're going to look for someone in, in that area. Maybe you feel like, oh, I'm not even getting it right with my family and friends right now, and I'm supposed to go and love strangers. Okay, well, then, then you're going to start with family and friends. Okay, that's, that's okay. Maybe the Lord's saying to you, you're actually doing really good with family and friends. You love people that are different than you. You love people that are struggling. You don't judge. But there's people that you would consider, maybe you don't call them enemies, but they've hurt you and they've offended you. 
and they've treated you harshly and unjustly and you just can't love them. So wherever you are, this isn't about shame. It's not about condemnation. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, to show us where we need to grow, and then the joy of allowing Him to fill us and then begin loving others um, through Him. So the next question, is there someone in your life that has a need? So think about from wherever, that, wherever you were on that scale, is there someone in your life right now that's in that area that has a need? Can you write down a, can you write down their name? You don't have to think of what you're going to do now. You might say, I don't know what to do. Go have a conversation. Write them a note of encouragement. Bring them a meal. Go out for coffee. Help them with something practical. Maybe you're, you know, you're not very good at the conversation side, but you're good with practical things. Then use your gifts. What are the things in you that make you a unique part of God's body? You are part of the body. You have a place in the body and a place in that ministry of reconciliation, that ministry of loving others. So how can you use your gifts to love others this week? So Lord, we thank you right now. We thank you for what you're showing to us. And right now I ask, this kind of, the kind of love we're talking about here is impossible without your Holy Spirit in us. We're going to talk more about that next week. But right now, Lord, we're saying yes to you. We want to love. We want to be your hands and feet in our community this week. I pray, Lord, that each one of us, that you would highlight people throughout the week as we see people, as we encounter people. Would you bring people to us that we can love? Lord, we want to be your hands and feet so bad. We want to give to others what you've given to us. But we need you in us, working through us, because we're too weak, we're too overwhelmed, we're too poor, we feel like we're blind, desolate, and broken. But with you and through you, we know we can do this. So Lord, we surrender our hearts to you this week. Love, love people through us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.